0: Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Jim Hall of Brooklyn Games, and joined here today with my guest, Logar the Barbarian.
1: I am Logar.
0: What a weird, bizarro universe that we uh, are experiencing here. There's screaming in the background. Oh, no. (laughs) You hear that?
1: (laughs) Uh, They're screaming. Someone's frightened by the the appearance of Logar. (laughs) Oh, no. it happens it goes two ways Either people love me or they really hate
0: me (laughs) they're terrified (laughs) no you got lots of tattoos and that was my son screaming and he actually loves tattoos he always points (laughs) at them today uh you know logar and i were talking a little bit about uh doing a bit of a uh, a different sort of episode where we kind of ask some questions of logar and we get to learn a little bit about uh how logar here runs a game and you've been you've been running games for like 30 years or something right
1: oh at least so i i can't tell you how long i've been playing and dming i it's not going to happen i don't have any idea cuz i wasn't like keeping any track when we were getting yeah. into this stuff as kids i can give you I can give yeah. you kind of ideas of what grades I may have been in.
0: <laughs> time was, time been. is a little different when you're a, a kid um, and you're not really thinking about that yeah. sort of thing. But, you know, I've, I haven't been playing for too long, maybe five years that I've been really playing, four or five years, something like that. And also, as someone who's writing books, I'm really interested to kind of pick your brain. And so the the topic that I wanted to ask you about today was session prep. And just kind of see, well, how do you plan a session? You know, you're getting ready to play. You've got everything scheduled. How do you plan it?
1: So there's different ways I plan sessions. And they've changed over the years. Because when I started playing, we focused on very what you would call railroad-style games. Very story-driven. And a lot of that was because most of what we were doing was sci-fi and superhero-style games. Very plot-based I've gotten away from that over the years. Sometime in the last 20 years, I got more into playing D&D style games and my process changed. And about 10 years ago, I ran a campaign of Rise of the Rune Lords for Pathfinder. And I bring that up because it's significant in my DMing is that that was the first time I attempted to run something somebody else had written outside of just pulling a random dungeon from a module and inserting it into what I had written.
0: <laughs> so, And what was different about that, that uh, module from like what you were used to other than just being a pre written module?
1: Well, being a, someone who ran stuff that I, I, the way I run is very loose. I want to know about the world and then the things that are going on that you're confronting and I have less of a layout that's linear that they seem to have in some of those modules. So mm-hmm. the modules are a little more preformed and constrained. And it was a learning curve at first to run modules for me. I, I, I still think that there's a learning curve and that every module kind of offers something different and new. You got to kind of get in there, feel around and learn. Mm-hmm. But I kind of still prep in a similar manner if it's a module or not. Because I'm rarely running a module straight up from the book these days.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you you got to kind of mush things into the world that you have mm-hmm. already. So, like, let, let's let's imagine, uh, you know, there's a game coming up, and you know, this Wednesday or whatever. What What are you doing to to prepare for that game? Uh,
1: a lot of what I do prior to game is reading. I do a lot of reading. Period. So like when I do zine reviews for this podcast, I'm kind of prepping for game because I'm going to possibly pull that out and pull elements of that out. I will have a few books that I'm going through and be flipping through different books at the same time. And I like to take post-it notes and put them in the pages that I want to flip to quick. But my main area of like prepping for game is I'll usually have a notebook and the notebook I will be sitting here making an outline and I will be noting NPC names, different faction names and mm-hmm. things like that, that I want to remember to keep in. A lot of my notes aren't going to be things that people are going to be able to pick up and see and like, Oh, okay. I understand what's happening. It's kind of laying out social network type maps, events that I want to occur and things like that. And I'm, I'm, and a lot of that stuff doesn't ever make it into game. Right. They're planned for if, we need to go this way i have this to pull out
0: if i'm curious works. about the uh the, the kind of social uh, network aspect of that you know what does that look like can you show uh, describe an example
1: oh yeah i definitely can um
0: <laughs> in a, detail, in great, I, I detail. in
1: great detail so i'm a big i'm a big history buff uh and a philosophy buff uh mm-hmm. social theory especially i'm really into so yeah. I'm constantly reading that kind of stuff and a lot of what I'm doing in game I'm drawing from. One of the places I've drawn from the most and I think it maybe it's been mentioned here before is the Spanish Civil War.
0: <laughs> yeah, you even mentioned an author to me that uh, had a little beetle as a character.
1: Oh, yes. Um, And that was uh, Marcos that was uh, down in uh, down in uh, down in Chiapas, Mexico. That would have been like the 90s uh, when he maybe later when he wrote that, but he first emerged in the 90s.
0: Um, at any rate, so <laughs> so you're kind of pulling from that historical background, um, and how do you use that?
1: Well, so i'm I'm looking at that and at the the conflict of the Spanish Civil War, you have the fascists kind of rise up after an election with the there, so there the, the liberal party in Spain at the time was the Republicans. they were uh they were they won an election, then the fascists rose up with tanks and decided, oh, no, we're taking control had this whole, I guess call it a coup and cities around like Barcelona and Catalonia rose up where there are many varying factions working together and what you see is like similar in places like Syria where there are like all these different factions who have certain aligned Mm -hmm. uh, like aligned interests Yeah. and I tend to pull from that looking at how those conflicts played out and how well we may be comrades here we're going to fight here Here's where we fell apart. So the more I started reading into that stuff, the more I started trying to structure my different factions in game after that in understanding where it is these people collide, what it is these people believe in relationship to what's relevant to what we're doing, things like that. So when I'm making these, I'm trying to make a complex relationships between them. I'm like, okay, perhaps all these people agree here, but some of them are going to disagree here. And I find that I can pull different conflicts from those interests. Now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: noting that my uh, my field of expertise is social theory <laughs> and philosophy. Yeah. Uh, studying the ways that people respond to beliefs, the way they reify what they believe and bring it into the world. That's something I'm fascinated with. And that's something I often contemplate when creating different varying conflicting yeah. factions in the game. And and we actually just sat down for the Hobo's guide to time and space the other night and had a huge discussion of different varying factions and what they believed and where they stand on this contrasting chart to kind of flesh that out for where it is we're gonna build from there, though
0: who right. these are.
1: So a lot of it is just me leaning into other things that I I am passionate about and interested in. So I'd say mm-hmm. that if you're gonna be creating factions and stuff like that and you're gonna be I find it helpful to lean into the other things that I know outside of game in creating those interpersonal or group dynamics, conflicts, and relationships. Does that that answer the question? Yeah, (laughs) totally. And
0: uh, as much as I (laughs) want to drill down more into that subject, uh, there are a couple other things I want to uh, ask about. Uh, Like, for example, you know, the, the party's been traveling across the land, searching for some uh, something, you know, uh, the MacGuffin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they know it's in such and such a dungeon somewhere. So how do you prep for that dungeon session, the, the crawling? Or is that something that you really play much?
1: So I do a lot of dungeon crawls, actually, nowadays. I yeah. do. I, I and I've And I used to just pull the dungeons and use them in my own thing and just kind of alter them um there's different ways i've done prep for dungeons there are the dungeons that i make for myself Mm -hmm. when i make a dungeon myself i'm kind of like going from room to room saying okay what is it these players might find interesting how is this going to be different this room and stuff like that and what is the objective like where do i want them to go what do i want to happen and i'm kind of focusing on those things yeah prepping the dungeon a lot of times these days, I've been running more and more pre-made modules because it's easy for me. It's becoming easier for me. It's, it's always been easier for me to run my own stuff because I, I I know what's in there. I don't have mm-hmm. to like reference anything.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But when I'm when I'm using a lot of this other stuff, whatever they're searching for, they've kind of determined that dungeon's there. If I guess if the the MacGuffin is in there somewhere. You know, I'm not focusing as much on the MacGuffin, the end point, as I am. What is it that's going to be interesting and fun for tonight's game? And, oh, well, this dungeon has certain things. And what am I going to emphasize and focus on? Because there are things in pre-made dungeons that I'm like, OK, I might not spend too much time with this.
0: Yeah, it's
1: My job to present the the uh, the room itself and as a dungeon master, a lot of times my job has more to do with my social skills interacting with my game group around my table and being able to read and play into what it is they seem to be taking interest in.
0: Yeah.
1: So prior knowledge, making sure that I know what I'm going to have pop up. And sometimes that means I may squish rooms around a little bit. <laughs> I may okay, this is the right time to pull something out. So I may change it.
0: So do you like uh, prepare a list of random encounters or do you just kind of like jot some things down and let it fall fall into place at the table or what?
1: Yes and no. I I have been known to prep the random encounters beforehand or read into them and be like, okay, I'm going to use this one whenever they roll a random encounter. This is the random encounter. But sometimes I just kind of let the dice go with it at the table, mm-hmm. especially if I'm running a game with a random encounter table or I've uh I've written out a random encounter table I will often just kind of okay we're doing our checks as we're going through oh that hit a random encounter let's see what this is the best thing about random encounters for me is doing that um uh, oh what's it called my brain's taking a fart the uh the friend the fiender friendly check <laughs> okay. I've been doing it the OSE way a lot these days I've done it other ways in the past
0: so essentially like, like an oracle to see how the how the NPCs react to the players.
1: Yes. So like yeah. like the when you roll uh, your two d six, the way that OSE does it is the response. If you hit twelve, is they're super friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like that spread between something like like five and eight, I believe, is like indifferent, and then lower is hostile or something along yeah. like those lines. And so
0: everything's clustered around the the center of that bell curve, and more of the neutral feelings, which yes. is probably pretty accurate you know for yeah someone walks up to you on the street how do you feel about them
1: yeah I, I mean it's like i said before like when i'm going on a jog and i run into some random animal that even if it's like, like something like a snake or let's say i just ran into yeah. a beer a beer a bear in the middle <laughs> of the woods while i'm running ah I'm a giant attacking. bear i'm not attacking <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm Yeah, i'm trying to move past this and saying okay i'm having my encounter Let's move on.
0: Yeah, and if a couple little goblins encounter a, a party of, like, five or six, like, honking uh, level five or, you know, uh, explorers, they're going to be intimidated.
1: Me and my buddies have, like, gone by the uh, playground where there's little goblins running around all the time. And I'm not attacking <laughs> them and hacking at those little goblins at the playground. No. <laughs> that's
0: a, That's interesting, too, um, when you kind of tie in the social play or the... Um, a faction play you, you could there's some crossover there where you can apply the factions inside the dungeon perhaps or in these sort yeah. of encounters perhaps
1: yeah and i like to present them to the players as each side as its side whenever possible and when they see the conflict or dilemmas that rise not necessarily throwing straight into the conflict being like hey you have your choices. You get to you get to decide where you're gonna go with this, and then those conflicts can come into play from there. And it kind of drags the players into it. So I'm not looking to just immediately throw those conflicts out there. They need to they need to experience the one side
0: yeah. and
1: and kind of get their perspective and kind of get it. Oh, okay. Well, they're not bad. Well, they're not too bad. Choose other where side, to yeah. yeah.
0: Choose where to latch on to and. I mean, you could do stuff like that if you can um, get the players to appeal to multiple sides.
1: Not every hook catches. So so that's the thing. Like like a lot of times I'm presenting these and then what the players do in response is kind of where I follow.
0: (laughs) Well, this kind of leads me to a question that I have. It's pretty broad, but how do you plan for user's choice so i say user again i did this last time we interviewed Uh, that player
1: autonomy player autonomy i think is a a word that people you know player autonomy is is a very central part of when i dm Mm -hmm. most of the time these days um part of that is that i play the world the world is essentially indifferent to them and i'm running that world around them in response to them i'm not giving them like i have presented my current campaign many threads that they can choose to follow where they follow I don't know. So from week to week I'm prepping. I've already laid these out. I know these things are over there. I have a vague idea what's laying there because I have an overall idea what's happening behind the scenes, who the different factions, what these different factions are that have we've only seen glimpses of. Mm-hmm. And whatever they follow that's what I continue to develop as the game grows. So I let them take me on a journey through this world, essentially uh, living vicariously through them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I suppose, are there any resources that you use to prep or, um, things that you, you, you mentioned like, uh, several books that you'll bookmark. Are there things that you kind of reach for frequently?
1: I think I said, there's, I, I'm, I got, I've got plenty of zines and plenty of game supplements from over the years, um. And at different times, i focused on others more heavily, like like Flying Buffalo I had those city books that are really useful. Philip Reed currently puts out stuff. But like when we went into swamps, I actually used one of your uh, zines in there looking for random encounters and stuff like that. Was that What was the name of that swamp? Uh, for, forbidden Swamp. Yes, the yes. Forbidden Swamp. and we pull, I, I made sure I had to print that out and we had it at the game table. And I had uh, the Bog Crawl from Morkborg as well, because I thought there were some encounters in there that might work well with it. So I'm always looking at different ideas and encounters from things I'm looking for. I'd say that some of the ones I've used the most are definitely monster manuals are, are the top tier. That's yeah. the thing I'm constantly going to. There are some monster manuals I love more than others.
0: <laughs> Fair and enough. Yeah.
1: I, I When it comes to just, okay, I'm stumped. I've, I've used Matt Finch's uh, Tome of Adventure Design a lot. Uh, in the past, when coming up with okay, where are we going? I'm going to make a few rolls and see what this is like, and and kind of going with those prompts. Uh, I'd say that Philip Reed's it, city, like he's got these books, uh, encounter like with city location encounters and dungeon location encounters, are kind of some of the ones I've been leaning into a lot here the last year or so.
0: I think we'll we'll talk more in detail about that in uh, a later one of these episodes. Um, but I, I was also curious how how you prep for sort of the exploration aspect. Are you running games on like a hex map or is it more of a amorphous uh, point crawl or um, how, how do you prep for that sort of overworld travel?
1: So in our current campaign for C&C, the way I did it was I had the players make the world collaboratively we made a huge hex map and we're kind of going we're we're in a little cluster of like three hexes through the whole campaign so far yeah. so as we move through those hexes from week to week we begin to flesh them out we aren't going too too far into those now i've also run like lost lands which follows the hex map itself and when i'm prepping for that a lost lands campaign in the past when i ran those i would I would kind of do a little research and a lot of that prep relied on me reading about the world of the Lost Lands, getting the lore of the area, figuring out what adventures are set there and things like that and taking those and working with those. So it can vary from campaign to campaign how I approach that. I've tried a lot of different things and there are definitely times I've done more point crawly or just thrown the map out altogether and said, "Okay, here's the basic idea because it's all in my head.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I know that. Well, a lot of folks really get, and I'm one of these people. Really get into the the world building aspect of it. Like, mm-hmm. I've I start by uh, thinking about the uh, geology of the land, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, do you, Do you ever kind of go into that level of world building? I know. I know you've I been do, experimenting I, with. I the, do. Uh... It
1: depends uh I think that I think that I could prop that world building might be a whole entire episode to itself we're coming about on time oh, there you <laughs> go. We're, we're way past up. yeah I I would love to talk about the world building one we have to make that a future one but I have a lot to say on the world building and the geology and everything else that we can oh, go into
0: oh <laughs> well, fantastic uh well uh thank you so much for uh, talking to to me a little bit here about uh, session prep well thank you um i'll let you do the the sign off since you got it all uh, i don't have it memorized so uh,
1: i i do have it memorized actually oh
0: that's convenient it,
1: it goes like this if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today please give us a positive review wherever you're listening you can find us on facebook just search wildlies and wizards wildliesandwizards.com is our blog i'm on twitter at logar Hale crom we're on patreon we can really use the support patreon.com backslash wildlies and wizards and brooklet games is where
0: you can find me at uh, patreon.com slash Games, or follow me on Twitter. I'm really active there at just at games
1: and, and as always, keep those dice rolling. Yeah.